Thanks for downloading this podcast from Burghead Free Church in Murray, Scotland. We exist to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Our vision is to grow to be a vibrant all-age church of 100 disciples. Find out more at burgheadfreechurch.org. Do sit. Every week is to open up the Bible, or as it was today, print it in the sheet and read it. And then think about what it means and what God is saying through it. So it might help you if you have the sheet open. Um, we're not going to go through absolutely everything in this little bit of the Bible. Um, but the main point of it, I think, is pretty clear. And uh, you'll see as well on the right-hand side, if it helps you, um, there's a few headings there. Uh, you can follow through as I'm speaking, if that helps you as well. Let me start by telling you about Pastor Joe Everly. Uh, you haven't heard of him, don't worry. Uh, he was the minister at Quest Church in Novato, California. Values uh, from the Bible. Um, he, he taught the Bible's sexual ethics. He, he taught that adultery is wrong and that marriage is to be honored. Uh, in fact, so committed was he to the, the Bible's teaching on, on marriage that uh, the good pastor regularly ran marriage counseling courses for couples whose marriages were in difficulty. Um, He also taught about the sanctity of life, um, that is that all life is given by God and and we should not take lives, uh, including the lives of the most vulnerable, like the unborn children in the womb. Now if you're here today and you're you're not a Christian or all this is new to you, you may or may not share his views, um, but those are the teachings of the Bible and so anyway, that's what the good pastor taught. So far, so unremarkable, you might say. But it later emerged that whilst engaging in marriage counseling with a particular couple, Pastor Everly used the personal information he had heard in that counseling to seduce the wife. Um, He abused his position of trust. He instigated a three-month affair. And when it emerged that the wife was pregnant, um, he pressured her into having an abortion, saying that it would be better for everyone. So much for the value of marriage and the sanctity of light of life. And we might well say, what an outrageous hypocrite he was. Um, I've chosen a story from the States, a story far away, but I could easily have picked a story from closer to home. Sadly, such tales of hypocrisy amongst church leaders are not hard to find. And by the way, this is the first point on your sheet, discredit where discredit is due. And uh, you'll see there are four, hopefully intriguingly entitled points, including don't judge the Beatles by a cover version. You'll find out why in a moment. But first, discredit where discredit is due. Um, you've seen, of course, the, the title of our service today, If There's a God, Why Are Christians Such Hypocrites? People read stories like that in the press about Christian leaders, doesn't have to be leaders, of course, but I suppose leaders get the headlines. Many people read a story like that, and they think that totally discredits the Christian faith. And no wonder. No wonder they think that. Hypocrisy, of course, is, is saying one thing, uh, but doing another. And so I reckon many people look on to a story like that, and they say, how can the Christian God be real when his so-called people behave so badly? Or how can the Christian faith be authentic when Christian people are so fake? 
Um, or why would I be interested in a religion that is full of so much hypocrisy? I guess there's a number of things I could say at this point. I, I could tell you that, his, that Christians are not the only ones who are hypocrites. Um, I could point to some outrageous hypocrites in, in other belief systems or worldviews. And that's all true. But it wouldn't be the right thing to say. The right thing to say is discredit where discredit is due. In other words, you're right. There are Christian hypocrites. And sad to say, these kind of news stories are not unusual. You hear about the guy who preached red-hot sermons on sexual purity but turned out to be having multiple affairs. You read about those who, who claim to be Christians and speak about the love of God but only ever seem to treat other people with disdain and judgment. And I have heard of people who railed against television and said it was very wicked and you shouldn't own a TV. But they did own a TV. They just kept it in the back room instead of the front room so the neighbors wouldn't see it. You read about people who claim to be devoted to Jesus, the humble servant king, and then use their position in church leadership to, to gain power for themselves or line their own pockets. And these are Christian hypocrites. And there are these Christian hypocrites, despite the fact that the Bible warns us in the strongest terms not to be hypocrites. And as I said, there were lots of detail in the passage But did you hear the main thrust? Jesus said it, I think, seven times. Woe to you. That's his strongest language of of condemnation. And he's talking to religious people. And he says, woe to you, religious people. And all of your hypocrisy. It's not just Jesus or or the Gospels. The the Bible is is full of condemnation, of, of hypocrisy. Here's something from Psalm 24. Do not sit with the deceitful. Or associate with hypocrites. And not only does the Bible warn us not to be hypocrites. um, We have been warned that that our hypocrisy will drive other people away from showing an interest in Jesus. So listen to these well-known words from, from John's gospel. Jesus says to his disciples, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In other words, he's saying, when Christians behave as they should, it it will have a kind of attractive effect. And people who look on, maybe like yourself here today, might look on and say, "Oh, well, if that's what Christianity does for these people, maybe there is something in it. Now I'm interested. But of course, the flip side is also true. There's an implicit warning, isn't there? That when Christians behave badly or hypocritically, Well, it will do the opposite. It will turn people off and drive them away. And so let me say, if you're here today and you think, how can I believe in a God when Christians are such outrageous hypocrites? I understand that feeling very well. I think we all understand that instinct that says, if that's what Christianity is about, I don't want any part of it. But here's the thing. If you really can't stand religious hypocrisy, you're in good company. Because Jesus hates hypocrisy. That's the second point. And again, you really can't have missed it in the passage I read, or Paul read. Jesus shares your revulsion 
at religious hypocrisy. He hates it. And by the way, if you're new to church or new to reading the Bible, don't believe the hype that Jesus was always sort of nicey-nicey, softly-softly, and never criticized anyone. That is the ultimate fake news. Um, The way people sometimes talk, you think Jesus was always just meek and mild and spoke in sort of sweet, saccharine tones about lovely things. Not at all. Jesus was really straight-talking, and he reserved his harshest criticism for religious hypocrites. And so there's any number of passages from the Gospels I I could have chosen and we could have read. I chose this one from Matthew. The situation here, just to set the scene, is that Jesus is is talking to a a crowd of people. And that crowd includes uh, his disciples. It also includes just some onlookers who were there checking it out. But it also included some Pharisees. Uh, They were the, the, the Jewish religious elite of the day. And they, they thought that they were pretty good at keeping religious rules. In fact, they liked them so much, they made up a whole bunch of other ones to lay on the people to say that they must do. And they especially liked those rules which were kind of external and visible. So they liked to be seen going to the temple to pray so everyone would know how religious they are. And they liked to be seen to go out and convert people. That's verse 15, so that people would know how zealous they were. And they like to be seen to to give a tenth of their possessions away. That's verse 23, so that people would think they were very generous. And they like to be seen to be ritually clean. That's what Jesus is getting at in verse 25, so people would think that they were morally pure. And they like to be seen to perform religious duties and rituals, so everyone would think that they were great, very pure, very clean. But according to Jesus, who sees through it all, it's just a fake. Their lives are like a show. On the outside, it looks great. But on the inside, the reality was that they were all about themselves. Inside, that they were a filthy mess, morally speaking. They said one thing, and they liked to be seen to do one thing, but in reality, they thought and said and did something else. And Jesus calls them out for what they are. Hypocrites. Again and again. Look how strong his words are. Look at verse 27. Little number 27. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, right? Freshly painted. But on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to be, people, to be people as righteous. But on the inside, you're just full of hypocrisy, says Jesus. Jesus seems to know that there's a kind of tendency, actually it's in all of us, to, to use whatever we can to, to get the trappings of religion, in this case, to make ourselves look good, to kind of elevate ourselves, and then look down on other people. And so if you really hate religious hypocrisy, you're in good company. Jesus hates religious hypocrisy. Now you might say, well, all right, that's fine, but you haven't answered the question yet. And that's true, I haven't. If there's a God, why are Christians such hypocrites? In other words, however noble Jesus might be, doesn't the fact that his so-called followers are often hypocrites, doesn't that just prove that there is no God? Well, let me start to answer that question 
by asking another question. And it's this. Why is hypocrisy wrong? Now, you might answer, well, it's just wrong. Of course it's wrong. It's wrong because we value truthfulness, don't we? People saying one thing and and living in accord with what they say. But then I might push back and say, well, okay, but why is truthfulness good? Why is integrity good? We actually started to see this last week when we looked at at suffering. We know, don't we, that that there are these absolute moral values. We, We know that truth is good and hypocrisy is not. But in order for us to have absolute concrete moral values like that we need some kind of external standard to set the boundaries of what's good and bad and right and wrong otherwise we're just left with our opinions and who's to say whose opinion is right you know if there is no god if there's no sort of external absolute standard then the best we could hope to say is that well i think hypocrisy is wrong but the trouble with that is what if i disagree with you how do we decide what's right Well, we saw this last week, but it bears repeating. Martin Luther King, the great civil rights campaigner, said this. If you want to know if a human deed or law is unjust, you need a higher standard, i.e. God, to say that it's unjust. The very fact that we instinctively know that hypocrisy is wrong tells us that absolute moral values do exist, and of course they do, And absolute moral values point to the existence of God. But there's much more to say. So, number three. And you're really wondering what this means, aren't you? Don't judge the Beatles by a cover version. So I have a confession to make. Since this is about hypocrisy, let me get it off my chest today. This is probably not desperately legal, but when I was a kid, age 12, I started playing the drums in a band with my mates from school. And uh, here's the dodgy bit. From the age of 13, we began playing pretty late-night gigs in pubs and clubs uh, and that kind of thing. I think we might have at least one police officer here this morning, so don't report me, Chris, if you are here. Anyway, one of the other bands that we regularly gig with did what cover bands around the world are wont to do. They played lots of dodgy Beatles covers, uh, and they played them really badly. Um, my band, of course, we were a cut above the rest. We didn't play cover versions. We only played original material, which is probably why no one came to see us, but that's another matter. Age 13, I must confess, all I knew about the Beatles was the dodgy cover versions played by poor quality musicians. And in my ignorance, I concluded that this fushty old lot, the Beatles, mustn't be any good. Um, Later, I encountered on record the real thing. Safe to say I changed my mind. And even if you disagree, as I do, with many of the messages that Lennon and McCartney put out there, you can't deny their songwriting genius. What's the point here? Well, many people judge Christianity by one or two hypocritical Christians they know. Instead of judging Christianity based on Christ himself. So the point is this. Don't judge the Beatles by a cover version. And don't judge Christianity by Christians. Because we are very far from perfect. Judge it by Jesus. 
And listen, if you're here today and you've been kind of hurt or disillusioned by a hypocritical Christian, then I'm really sorry. And if that Christian was part of this church, then I am even more sorry. And if the hypocritical Christian that hurt you was me, then I am truly sorry. And I understand the instinct to judge Christianity upon the Christians you meet. In some ways, that's right. But before you do that, let me plead with you to take a look at Jesus and judge it on him. And it's so fascinating. When, I said on Wednesday night, if you were here, that, that so often I love to get together and, and, and read the Bible, read the Gospels especially, the accounts of Jesus' life. Um, with adults who perhaps have never read them or haven't read them since they were a child and don't really remember much. And so often the, the Jesus that they find, the real Jesus, is so different to what they expect. And so when you read the Gospels, you, you find a Jesus who, who does, he does indeed make great claims. He makes impressive statements. He said things like this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But unlike you or me, I mean, we could all say that, couldn't we? Unlike you or me, he lived that out perfectly. There was no gap for Jesus between what he said and what he did. And I can tell you that because when he had been falsely accused and sentenced to death, as he was being hung on a cross to be unlawfully killed, he prayed for the people who were executing him. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I could give other examples. Jesus taught, seek God first and all your material needs will be provided. And then he lived that out. He lived a life of undivided devotion to his father. He was never on the take. In fact, Jesus again and again taught and upheld that the highest moral standards. There's a famous bit earlier on in Matthew's gospel called the Sermon on the Mount. You would know some famous phrases from it, probably. He taught that in that sermon, not only was adultery wrong, but even lustful thoughts could bring God's condemnation. Not only was murder wrong, but even hating your brother or sister leaves you in danger of judgment. Those are big claims he made. The question is, well, did he live them out? And I think it's really telling that All these religious authorities, including the Pharisees, who really hated Jesus, they were the ones who in the end got him put to death. And they were looking for any excuse they could, any chink in his armor. They wanted to get rid of him. They were looking for an excuse to slander him, to blame him, to pin something on him. But nothing would ever stick. The very people who had every motive to find some kind of mud to throw at Jesus could never do it. Even Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman governor who oversaw Jesus' trial, he was not kind of favorably disposed towards Jesus, really. He just wanted to wash his hands of him. Even he was forced to admit that actually Jesus was innocent. They couldn't find any mud to sling. And so in Jesus, you see a man whose lips, what he said, totally matched up with his life what he lived. And so maybe I can challenge you. Have you ever, as a kind of thinking adult, sat down and read through one of the gospel accounts of of Jesus' life? Um, There's some copies of Luke's gospel on, on the back there. Take one today. Have a read. See what you make of it. Many people who do that are really amazed by what they find.
So don't judge the Beatles by a cover version. Don't merely judge Christianity based on Christians. Look at Christ. Having said that, it's worth remembering that that whilst some Christians are scandalous hypocrites, there are many, many Christian people who, following the example of Jesus, do show the most amazing courage and integrity. In fact, one of the reasons that that Christianity spread like wildfire in in the first century just after Jesus was they had this extraordinary countercultural care for the poor and the weak. And that was not normal in Roman society. And around the UK today, it, it is often, not always, but often Christian churches and charities and individual Christians who are holding society together. It's often Christians who are running food banks and clothes banks. It's often Christians that are working in the poorest communities. Christians who are providing activities for free for children. Christians who are working in nursing homes or in prisons or or wherever. Um, You go back in history in, in the 18th and 19th centuries, it was Christians who fought against slavery and won. Um, In the 20th century, it was black Christians in the States who fought against Jim Crow and all the racism. In the Second World War, it was often Christians who were involved in great acts of heroism to save Jewish prisoners. Um, In fact, our society, especially in the West, where, where it has really been built on Christian values for centuries, we have developed a unique value that we place on truthfulness and integrity Um, Christianity has has made us uniquely value community tolerating people who are different to us because Jesus said love your neighbor Christianity actually gave birth to modern science because a belief in an ordered God meant a belief in well perhaps we could study this ordered universe that he's made and more on that next week Christians, many of whom filled with integrity and ingenuity, have given us so much. Again, especially in the West, just because the Christian faith has shaped our culture for so long. But you might rightly say, well, hang on a minute. There were also Christians who owned slaves. There were also Christians who were racists. There were also so-called Christians who were Nazis. And you're right. And that brings us to the final point. Look inside, not just out. So the point is, I think the thing we've seen is that there are Christians of great integrity and there are some Christians who are hypocrites. In fact, it's interesting, isn't it? I reckon that word hypocrisy is everywhere today. You know, we don't really know who to trust anymore. We don't trust the politicians We don't trust the bankers or the clergy or the lawyers. The the cry of hypocrisy goes out everywhere. Hypocrisy seems to be everywhere. And you know, that's right. It is. It is everywhere. And the hard truth, if I can say, is that it's in all of us as well. Hypocrisy is in me, if I'm honest, and it's in you. This truth is a bit close to home, I think, but maybe, maybe sometimes that's why we're so keen to shout loud and to point out the hypocrisy of others. Because if I'm honest, all of that noise drowns out the nagging voice inside my own head. 
that says, you know, I'm guilty too. I can be a hypocrite too. I'm not saying that everyone operates on this same level of of blatant hypocrisy as the kind of sickening story of Pastor Everly that we started with. Maybe our own hypocrisy is not quite as easy to spot. But, you know, I know it's there, and here's why I know. Can you honestly say that you always live up to your own standards for yourself? Can you honestly say you always live the life that you think you should live by your standards, never mind God's much higher, much purer standards. So, for example, we say that we value truth and we rail against people who tell lies. How could you lie, we say. But of course the question comes back to us, do do we always tell the truth? All of it? We lambast people who gossip and we really hate it when people spread false things about us behind our backs. But can you honestly say that you're innocent of that? We say to our kids, and I can hear these words in my own mouth as I say them, don't be so selfish. Think about other people. I think I say that almost every day to my kids. But what about my own selfishness and self-interest? The hard truth is, I'm a hypocrite. The even harder truth is, so are you. Because we like to portray a kind of public image of ourselves that's better and shinier and glossier than the sinful, messy reality. Hypocrites are everywhere, everyone is guilty. And if you believe that, let me tell you, you are closer to being a Christian than you might think. Because, this might shock you, that is actually the teaching of the Bible. That we have all sinned and all fallen short of God's perfect standards. We even fall short of our own standards. Where can we see God's standard of perfection? Us in Jesus. He was a man of complete integrity and perfection. Here's the heart of it. See, our hypocrisy gives us a problem. The Bible says again and again, God will not dwell with the wicked, which just means God won't have anything to do with sin and hypocrisy. How can he? He's good and pure. In the same way that light and darkness just don't mix. But that's a really big problem because it means that our hypocrisy cuts us off from relationship with God. So for, imagine for a moment that, uh, that this book represents your sin or my sin. Here it is, my hypocrisy and yours. Imagine for the sake of this that God is up here and here I am. My sin, my hypocrisy has cut me off from God. And if nothing is done about this problem, I will remain cut off from God forever. That is the bad news. The good news is that Jesus came to earth. No sin, no hypocrisy of his own. And yet he went to die on a cross. What was Jesus doing there? Well, as he died on the cross, he took on himself the punishment 
for our sin and our hypocrisy, which leaves us free and forgiven and able to know God as our Father again, be in his family. That is the hard news, the bad news. No one is free of hypocrisy. The good news, Jesus, the perfect man of integrity, has come to die so that you can be forgiven and welcomed back into God's family. And by the way, that's what the church is. We are not, or we should not be, a bunch of people who think we are morally superior. God keep us from thinking that. The truth is the the complete opposite. We are a bunch of people who know that we are not good. We are a collection of people who know that we are hypocrites. But we've come to Jesus, the man of integrity, to find forgiveness. Thanks again for listening. Please feel free to share this podcast. And if you'd like to be up to date with each week's talk, why not search Burkhead Free Church on your favorite podcast app and hit the subscribe button. For more information, go to burkheadfreechurch.org.